You are entering the Freedom Hut. Trump only gets justice through winning. How the GOP was fooled by COVID. What is Trump promising for term two? Biden thinks COVID killed over a third of America. The return of Democrat struggle sessions and an unusual mask requirement in Oregon County. Coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Man, thank goodness it is Friday. Gonna have some fun, show you how it's done. TGIF, that's where we are. We, we could all use a weekend, I think, right now. I, I, I believe that the weekends, more than I've seen in a long time, it used to be weekends were for fun. Now I find weekends are for regrouping, finding some peace, finding some ability to uh, rejuvenate and rehabilitate yourself from, from a week of, of craziness, whether you're on lockdown still in some capacity or you're in a city or a place where now there's a resurgence of all this uh, fear and anxiety around COVID-19. I, I just, I'm happy though to see that finally, they're about, uh, what is it, two weeks behind? When, when did I first tell you on this show that the Trump movement was losing right now? I think it was at least a week, maybe two weeks ago. And now, every, now everyone's like, oh gosh, it actually looks like this isn't working. It looks like just the tweets on Law & Order aren't enough. Indeed. I bring this up not to be that guy who says, look at me, I was right. Because so many people that have shows only tell you about the times they're right and they forget about the times where they were oh so very wrong. Uh, But I bring it up because it's uh, necessary for us to continue to be honest about what we're seeing or else we're just going to lose. And one concept that I want to make sure that all conservatives have in mind, I want to spread this far and wide. You know, I've been talking to you about wartime conservatism. I've been talking to you about what I think we need to be prepared for going forward. Trump only gets justice through winning. Remember years ago, he said, you're going to win so much, you're going to get tired of winning. I am not. You are not. Uh, There's still a lot of work to be done. And once you think about the way that the Democrats have planned this whole thing out, they used Russia collusion, a completely false narrative, to slow down the administration for three years. And they've really uh, they've had suffered no consequences from this at all, which is appalling and and terrible. But that's where things are. And let's be honest about it. I I wish I could come here and just blow a lot of smoke around about how great everything's going. But what we are seeing now is a transition to exploiting a tough period for the United States for the Democrats purposes. So they made up big challenges and they made up a a whole narrative of treason and, and Russia and being a Manchurian candidate and all this. So they made all that up just entirely. And now we have transitioned to things are bad and they decide to make it all worse. Right. Things are rough with the economy, with COVID-19. We'll talk more about that today on the show. Uh, the only way that this turns around is if President Trump is able to lead the movement in a way that 
normal people. And we're never going to win over the crazy libs. The Democrats who are dancing on top of cars and and destroying things and pulling down statues, you're never going to get them to stop being crazy. They're done. They're they're gone. But when you look at the polling, when you look at perception and the, the polls match the perception that I'm seeing and everyone else that I know who's honest about it. Right now, things are going against the administration. How, how do we turn all of this around? First of all, uh, we need focus from this president. And I'm just going to say it. We need some fighters around this president. We need some, you know, he might have to, you know, reach into the reach into the Rolodex a little bit here and get some people. I mean, I'm just going to say this. And, you know, I'm not going to be. I'm not trying to be unfair to anybody who's working with him or around him right now, but who is really fired up and making the case about this? This shouldn't be, oh, we want police reform too, and oh, how can we get the Senate to pass a better bill so Democrats are... No! This should be, hey, stop acting like a bunch of savages and barbarians out in the streets. Stop destroying our history, you ignorant fools. You want you want to have a conversation? We have conversations about adult things here. How do we get people back to work? What do we do about 40 million plus jobs lost? That's that's at least worth our time. This other stuff, this is all just distraction and destruction. Who's making that case right now? You know, I, I mean, I think that Kelly McEnany is doing a good job battling with the press, you know, in these conferences. But it's in that that's not that's just dealing with the incoming. That's not going on offense. Who's making the case to the American people right now? Who is fired up about this? I'm sorry, it's not the same Trump right now. And he needs, you know, I, I just watched this, uh, this fantastic series. I finished it. Uh, well, I watched it and then I finished it this past week. The Last Dance series on, uh, it's about the Bulls and their six championships as a team. You know, Trump is the Michael Jordan of the Trump movement, obviously. But, you know, you see, and that's there are times when he got a little down. There was a time when he got food poisoning in a huge game. I mean, other people have to step up. People around Trump in the administration, people that can advise him. Whoever has been advising Trump for the last month has done a catastrophically bad job in dealing with these protests and the movement. Catastrophically bad. Couldn't have been any worse, really. Really couldn't have been any worse. And I'm, I'm sitting here as somebody who... I'm going to go to the mat. I'm going to do everything I can to help this guy get reelected. He's not perfect, and that's putting it mildly, but darn it, we see what the opposition is. The polls should be going in the other direction. How can the American people see what's happening, hear these narratives, all this terribly toxic, racially divisive stuff that Democrats and the lib media are just pumping out there all the time? And our side is losing ground? This crisis of, of lack of law enforcement and this crisis of attacks on law enforcement and the fact, I mean, they're, they're playing audio. I, I know this was on a Tucker show last night of people calling into the cops and they're like, sorry, it's a sanctioned protest. Wait, whatever happened to social distancing? Whatever happened to we all have to do our part? My friends, these People, the libs, the Dems, the socialists are ruthless, ruthless. They don't care. 
And this is the part that we all have to get past. They don't care how much they lie. They don't care how miserable they're making you, how much destruction they're wreaking on the economy. If they cared about those things, don't you think that they would have been relatively pleased with how excellent the first three years of the Trump economy were? No big wars, no unnecessary conflicts abroad started, a a boom in productivity and household wealth and per capita wealth, wages rising. And all they did was complain about Russia. These people are lunatics. They're lunatics. And if you think that the suffering, and this is the, the root fallacy that we are dealing with right now, that if, if things get bad enough in the cities, then people will turn around. No. No. This is an insurgency. Something that I know a bit about, and many of you watching who actually served in the military and thank you for your service. You know, if I was able to help you find some of the bad guys dressed like I was going on a camping trip when I was working for the CIA, you guys, those of you who, those of you who are in spec ops know what I'm talking about. If I was able to help, great. But you guys were doing the real fighting. And you know from insurgency that the, the big problem that the state has, the authority, the power, the system, the apparatus, is that the government has to provide security and services. Now that's complicated and governments generally aren't very good, particularly at the second one, but they're not even that good necessarily at the first. And all the insurgents have to do is create misery and despair and destruction. This is a Democrat insurgency against America. That's what is happening right now. Okay, the Democrat Party that complained about what Trump was doing to the apparatus, that complained about what Trump was doing to our our system of democracy has figured out, oh, well, now that things are actually tough and COVID-19 is a big challenge, COVID-19 does make things harder now that that's actually happening. What have they done? Completely flipped it. And they're attacking the system with everything they have undermine it, ruin it crush it, pull down those statues, lop off the heads of sculptures, pull, you know, pull down every aspect of American society that they can that undermines our sense of a shared history and a common purpose today and going forward as a people. America is an idea. That they're attacking the idea of America is not in the least bit something we can overlook or this will pass. No, they've brought this into our house. Are we going to let them get away with this? They're trying to pull down the American experiment and with it, the American dream and build something on its ashes. Joe Biden is a Trojan horse. Why do you think they picked him? Oh, Joe Biden's been in politics for 40 years. He can't. Joe Biden doesn't know what time it is. Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden. No idea what's going. He's perfect for them. He's perfect. I mean, the Democrats, if they could get away with voting for a cadaver or a sack of potatoes, they would. Joe Biden's the next best thing, the closest thing they can get away with. The guy with no core beliefs, kind of been around a long time, has name recognition, attached uh, to Obama because he was vice president. So that helps him out. That's all it is. He's going to do whatever the activists left that even the Democrats are terrified of now. Don't you see? Even the Democrats can't control this this beast of the left that has been unleashed on the country. And they either go along with it or they're going to get eaten by it, too. They know this. 
So what is what are the establishment players, the, the ruthless, self-involved, self-dealing, narcissistic Democrat establishment? What are they doing? They're trying to just say, OK, well, we'll put forward. We'll do our part. We'll put forward a guy that, you know, voters in Ohio who understandably voters in Pennsylvania and Florida who just want things to feel more normal and go back to normal. They're like, well, if Trump can't make things normal, what good is he? I'll try the other guy. And, you know, that doesn't make them bad people. This is a sophisticated and it doesn't make them even, you know, I I can't even blame them for the choice in a sense, because the Democrats have such a bigger propaganda machine. They're so dishonest and there's some truth to the failure of the Trump movement that is occurring before our eyes right now when we have lawlessness on the streets in the capital city of this country, in the financial capital of this country. There's an Occupy movement, which I told you was going to happen, and you know that I predicted this. There's an Occupy movement outside City Hall now. Occupy Wall Street all over again, but they're not going to focus in on Wall Street. They're just focusing in on the tactics and the tools the left has used in the past. This president is a brawler. That's why we put him in office. We know what the left does. We know the Romneyite, Paul Ryan, McCain approach to politics in America is just slowing the spread of socialism and authoritarianism. That's all it does and makes concessions along the way that validates many of the far left's demands. Oh, look at what, you know, Mitt Romney is marching with Black Lives Matter, right? I mean, this is the mentality. Trump comes in and says, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. And you're not going to just pressure me into not doing things because that's not what the establishment wants. Where is that Trump? Where is that Trump? Where is the fire in the belly? And where are the people around him who are getting fired up? Uh, who, who in this White House is out there making the case? Who at the top of a major agency or a major wing of the administration is really taking action here? I, my friends, we need to wake up and rally. The insurgents are winning. They're all over the country. They have control of 90 percent 95 percent of the media they have control of corporate america they're all terrified remember corporate america generally would rather not be political but anything that is political they always are going to go left because the leftists have established that they'll boycott they'll attack they'll cancel we don't have that in conservative culture we don't have that as part of our mentality so we always lose with corporate america now We have to start to work to change all of this. We have been given, in a sense, a gift, a huge opening. The Democrats are a bunch of lawless, wannabe revolutionary socialists who will tear down the achievements of this country, who will tear down our basic American unity. Trump has a pitch coming right down the middle with this. But so far, he's missed the last two pitches. We're on we're getting close to strike three here. Now, I know I know he can put this in the upper deck. I know he, he did it before. He's done it many times. But it's incumbent upon all of us to rally in whatever way we can to understand this moment in our history and to push with every ounce of our being. 
toward the restoration of law and order, the love of this country that the Republican Party is supposed to represent, and the defeat of this very real challenge to our government and to our system and to our way of life. That, that is what is at stake right now. You know, this is not this is not the 2008 election. This is something else. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The toughest nation to deal with are the Democrats in the USA. The Democrats in the USA are much tougher to deal with than any of these people that we deal with. They're far more unreasonable, and actually they're a little crazy. They are, and they have been made crazier by Trump. You have to remember that much of what, they, much of what their identity is, uh, many of them have no sense of, uh, no sense of, look, I'm just going to say it, they're not, they tend to not be very religious, they have no sense of uh, a, a built-in honor, they really believe that their political ideology is a defining characteristic of who they are, and that their politics is also a part of their personal brand. So libs, Democrats think, because they're libs and Democrats, they're better people, and they know more, and they have a better understanding of what's going to happen. Well, then Trump comes in, and they were so convinced that he was going to just nuke the whole world, that everything would be terrible, and it didn't happen. And so now what they're doing is they're nuking the country, so to speak. They're destroying everything so they can blame it on Trump. I mean, this is purposeful destruction. This is using the system against Trump because Trump was able to do very well within the existing political system. Right? This is if I can't if I can't have power, nobody can, and then I'll rebuild it and create my own power structure. This is the, you know, I'll, I'll take the ball home with me and not let anyone else play with it. This is the crybaby childishness of the Democrats, but it's also a dangerous mentality. Because you can't reason with this. How can you reason with anybody who thinks that if, if someone thinks that these protests are going to change anything for the better in this country, they're delusional. And if someone thinks that this protest movement should not be held accountable for providing cover and ideological push for looting and rioting and violent assaults, they're either a fraud or an idiot. Those are the basic truths of what's happening right now in the country. I want everybody to make sure they understand that. Now, this isn't, oh, yeah, sure, the protests have valid grievances. Crap. It went from George Floyd to pull down statues in the blink of an eye. What does one have to do with the other? Agitation. Marxist, class, and race division agitation. That's all this was ever about. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We warned him about as early as January, the middle of January. I was saying a pandemic is coming. We should be prepared. Why don't you use the legislation, the act that's available to a Defense Production Act to make companies move and build the things they need to build, provide the protective gear, uh, build hospitals, etc. Yeah, I warned about it, Uh, Biden. No, I'm down, I'm down in the basement, and, you know, uh, Trump, uh, uh. I mean, this is, this is who the Democrats say should be the leader of the free world. Say what you will about Trump, but in 2016, that guy was en fuego, 
at rally after rally, fired up two, three hours at a time, extemporaneous speaking, making jokes, making salient points, getting people fired up. It was not possible to make a case that Trump didn't have the energy and the stamina to be president when he was running. Biden, Joe Biden, I've been in politics for 207, no, that's not right, 207 years, that's not, that's not right. If you think I'm being unfair, which you probably don't because you listen to this show and you're funny and savvy and smart, but if you think I'm being unfair, uh, then you should probably hear what Joe Biden said about the latest COVID death numbers. Uh, Producer Brandon, please play clip four. Unnecessarily, now we have over 120 million dead from COVID. Uh, we have 120, 120 million dead from maybe it's maybe it's 1.2 billion or, or something. There's a lot. This is 1.2 billion dead. We didn't even have that many people, but, you know, they reanimate them and people come back and it's like zombie apocalypse. I saw a movie and there were birds and then the unicorns and where's my I mean, this is what this is what the presidency is going to be. This is what the president's going to be. Get ready for it. Actually, you know, I've got to tell you. And look, I, I like the people I like and I like my friends in this business. So, you know, because I get I get heat sometimes. Some of you have heard. I've had, uh, you know, Ann Coulter on my uh, show on WR pretty, pretty regularly because we, we have fun and she likes to she likes to call in and chat. And I know that she's been critical of Trump, but guys, what she's been her criticisms recently are correct. She's trying to help the Trump movement win. You know, she's she's a harsh she's a harsh critic sometimes, but an honest one. And she's been right about this. And she's got a tweet about Joe Biden, about Joe Biden that uh, I think completely nails it. She wrote, and this is in response to what I just, what I just played. You the bottles of beer on the wall. Uh, Ann Coulter is out there saying this. A Biden presidency will be like the Mueller investigation, a senile white male figurehead with lunatic leftists running the show. Absolutely correct. And they're going to try so hard. They're going to tell everyone, oh, Joe Biden's an establishment. He's a moderate. He's an establishment figure. Notice how you never have Republicans running for office, pretending to be something. I mean, at the national level, to be president, pretending to be something completely different from what they are. Right. The head fake that the Democrats will do is this is just part of the strategy. You know, that they'll put forward, they will try, they will actively try to fool voters. You know, Republicans, yeah, they don't always get to follow through on the promise because the Congress won't go with it or whatever it is. But you're not getting a different person than you think you're getting. You just might get somebody who's not quite as good a version of that person as the candidate was promising. With Democrats, it's all a scam. It's all a fraud. Whatever they have to do, that is what they will do. Anything for power and understand that they're being a little quiet right now about the who are the people that are saying when your enemy's making a mistake don't interrupt him this is the worst advice imaginable right now for trump 
The enemy is gaining right now, okay? This is like saying, yeah, let's abandon all of our Ford operating bases because, you know, the enemy's not going to be able to keep the lights on and everything. Let's just abandon all of our bases to the enemy. They're not going to be able to keep the logistics going for the bases they're taking over. People out of their minds? Think about this. This is a political conflict, but if you think strategically about it like an armed conflict, this is why I keep saying, think about it like a wartime conservative. It all makes much more sense. You know, you can go back to Clausewitz, right? Uh, politics is war by other means. So that's that's what you should be thinking about. That's what you should have in your head as we see what's going on here. But they're also going to all these big left wing ideas. Biden, if Biden wins, they're also going to take the Senate. They're probably going to hold the House. So you have the Senate, the House and Biden, who is just a puppet of the left. They're going to try to do things like the Green New Deal. And this COVID pandemic is going to be used as a template. They have gotten away. And conservatives, we have been far too complacent on this. I mean, I don't know. Do, do I have to go out and get and get arrested for violating like social distancing or something? I, I don't know. You know, I'm just so outnumbered here in New York City that it's not even clear to me how I could do this. But if I owned a small business and I could go and open up shop, I would do it. I would do it. Protest, you know, civil disobedience. This has to happen from our side, too. They have taken away our rights. They've just swept them away with the stroke of a pen, not even using the legislature. Just, yeah, executive order. Stay home. Can't do your business. Wear, wear a stupid thing on your face all the time. Shower with it. Sleep with it all the time. Don't go outside without it. Because we, because we say so, peasant. And we've all been like, okay, we'll do our part. This is how Republicans got fooled. This is how we we got played. We were used. And Trump got played. I'm going to say it. I know people don't like to hear it. But have I ever been unfair to this president? In the the four years of his presidency, and those of you who have been listening to me for years, have I ever once been really unfair to him? No. And he knows that I'm not unfair to him. He knows that I'm rooting for him, trying to help. I want him to win. I'm the coach who's saying it's the fourth quarter and we're down 10 points and our star player needs to get his head in the game. I mean, not that I'm the coach of the conservative movement, but you know what I mean for the analogy's purposes. You know, I'm trying to get us to the degree that I can. And you might say, oh, well, how much does this matter? I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people who listen to this show every day. There are. Millions of people who will read my tweets and what I'm saying about this every day. So, I mean, I'm, I'm doing what I can. There are people with bigger platforms even who are a little tepid, a little tepid. Don't want to lose some of those big corporate sponsors. Don't want to. Oof, no, don't want to have to deal with any real heat. Ooh, no. Much more fun to, you know, helicopter from one of a dozen homes to another and go to all of the different private studios. So I'm just trying to say that. We need to recognize what a Biden presidency would be, as well as understand that we're losing and we have to get on offense. This is not working. This strategy is not working. You know, Biden. uh, Oh, and they exploited us. And I, I didn't mean to skip past that point. They exploited our goodwill and good faith, because as Republicans, as conservatives, I think we thought of the COVID-19 thing the way we think about a war. You know, I'll tell you this right now. If the Chinese had invaded while Obama was president, I mean, really, like if they had landed on our shores and President Obama's like, guys, we 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 got to fight on our hands. I'm like, that's my commander in chief. Give me a rifle and a helmet. I'm going to go fight those invaders and do everything I can for this commander in chief. 
Because there are some things, there are some things that are beyond politics, right? There are some things where your Americanness is the single most important factor. And I really mean that. And I, I, was, I was cheering for, for Obama after the bin Laden raid. I know that it was SEAL Team 6 and not Obama that rappelled down and took, took out bin Laden. But there are some areas where you would like to be able to put your partisanship aside. The left exploited that. Our decency, our good faith, our goodwill on COVID and turned it against us. And we said, all right, okay, look, we know this is going to be terrible for the economy, but you guys are all really scared and no one really knows what's going on here. And we got all the public health experts. So, but we're in this together, right? They told us we're in this together. A million times I heard this. Well, we were in this together until there was a left-wing protest movement that needed to get out there and take over the streets and terrorize people and tear down statues and light buildings on fire. Then all of a sudden we weren't in the COVID-19 fight together anymore. All of a sudden that just evaporated. It took advantage of us. That's what happened. Took advantage of our good faith, our goodwill. And they're also doing that with these completely reckless and feckless accusations of racism that are all there are specific accusations of racism they'll make against people. But also now we live in a society where you're subject to being called or considered racist constantly for things that are not racist. And that's actually part of the narrative that we're all dealing with right now, that merely your whiteness means you are a part of a system that is racist, and therefore your existence is additive to a racist system. You're contributing to racism. That's what white privilege means. Boil it down. Look closely at it. That's what white privilege really means. You have to, you have to expunge the sins of the racism of your very existence. What could be more divisive and I would I would argue just more immoral a philosophy of public life and, and of American American lives than this. You're a bad person because of who you are. I'll tell you this. Run an experiment. Go if you want. Go on social media. You can say anything you want, anything you want about whiteness. You you can prostrate yourself, make videos of yourself, you know, just cutting your own fingers and saying that, you know, you're so sorry. You know, remember, you know how the Yakuza does that thing where they'll slice off their fingers with a katana. Don't do this, obviously, but they'll slice off a finger with a katana blade or whatever the smaller sword is. Some of you will know, not the katana. It's the smaller one that the samurais would carry. Uh, you know, you could do that. Yakuza is, of course, the Japanese mafia. Uh, and, and say that you're so sorry for your whiteness. And people would say, that person's really stepping up. You know, they're really uh, accepting their white privilege. No, say that white people are horrible, white people are terrible, the worst. That Oh, you think I'm exaggerating? There are people out there who have run this experiment. This one's very famous Pulitzer Prize winner. You want to hear what she had to say some years ago? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team, we've talked about Nicole Hannah-Jones before on this show. She is the primary author behind the Pulitzer Prize winning. Oh, the Pulitzer Prize, the height of journalism. 1619 Project, which is an, a, a straight up propaganda project. That, that is what it is. And even the most established historians of that period 
of American history have come out to say, look, there's just a lot of historical inaccuracy, a lot of things omitted that are egregious in this. It's just not giving you a real picture of what was going on and what the thinking was. And this is a, this is just and they don't care. They don't care. New York Times doesn't care because it's about the left. It's about mobilization. This has become very important for the left right now. And that brings me then to the latest from Hannah Nicole or Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, she, you may recall, gotten a little bit of public pressure. I wouldn't say it wouldn't say real heat they're, I mean, she's they're never going to fire her from The New York Times. doesn't matter what she does. Joy Reid, who's at MSNBC, to get to give you a sense of the double standards that exist in media. I just saw this. Joy Reid is at MSNBC. She wrote anti-gay stuff on her blog and like really anti-gay stuff, whatever it was, 10 years ago. Fine. No problem. Got her own show now at MSNBC. So if you're a lib that the media, you know, if you're a lib that the left finds useful, they like you, different rules, doesn't matter. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is over the New York Times. She's also just unfireable. Doesn't matter what she does. She can say that there is a, and she shared this, read this, shared a Twitter uh, thread about a conspiracy theory that the reason all these fireworks fights are happening predominantly in minority neighborhoods in major cities, that's where it's happening. It was originally a George Floyd protest, they said. Yeah, right, sure it is. Um, Was a white establishment plot to keep black people up at night and turn them against each other at this pivotal moment of political mobilization. She shared that from her official account, which is, it has a huge following. She's like, yeah, this is a good theory. So I don't know if she's a fraud or a moron, but I don't see a third choice. I don't. That brings me then to what's in her heart. What does she really think? What does she really believe? Now, I had told you before that if you want to, and you do, you, you, whether you're white or any, any other ethnicity, you can go on TV, uh, or, or not on well, TV, yes, but I mean, you can go online and say the most damaging things imaginable about white people and just the craziest things, you know, that the, there's nothing you can say about whiteness that is too much for the left. You can't put it. They will never say, whoa, whoa, settle down. Like, I, I know some good white people. Nope, never going to happen. Whatever you want to say right now. And this is important that you remember this is this is the country we live in now. When she was a student, I suppose, at Notre Dame, because she wrote into the Notre Dame Observer, Ms. Uh, Ms. Jones wrote in a letter to the editor. Now, granted, she was in college, but remember, Kavanaugh was in high school when he allegedly groped a girl that he did not and who was crazy and who was part of a political hit on him. But, you know, his high school behavior was supposed to keep him from being on the Supreme Court. So I'm sorry. Now what you write in college, no longer fair game, says who? This is a Pulitzer Prize winning perhaps the most famous new writer at the New York Times. And here's what she used to write when she was in college. Dear editors, I was shocked and disgusted when I read Fred Kelly's article in the issue of The Observer. What responsible editor would print an article that applauds and dignifies the white race's rape, plunder, and genocide of a whole race of people? I find it hard to believe that any member of the white race can have the audacity and hypocrisy to call any other culture savage. The white race is the biggest murderer, rapist, pillager and thief of the modern world. Europeans have colonized and destroyed indigenous populations on every planet. They've committed genocide against cultures that have never offended them in their greed and insatiable desire to control and dominate every white, every non-white culture. 
Christopher Columbus and those like him were no different than Hitler. The crimes they committed were unnecessarily cruel and can only be described as acts of the devil. It goes on and on and on. But as David Walker wrote in his Appeal of 1829, the white men acted more like devils than accountable men. Whites have always been unjust, jealous, unmerciful, avaricious, and bloodthirsty set of beings, always seeking after power and authority. It was not enough for whites to come to the Americas and learn they looked upon the native people as inferior and to be annihilated. Using Christianity as their excuse, the white race denied the native people their humanity. Even today, the, the descendants of these savage people pump guns and drugs into the black community. Yep, that's who's teaching your kids, folks, in schools these days. The 1619 Project, that's what's being taught to them. There you go. Pulitzer Prize winner, New York Times. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Too many of us are led by too many people who refuse to do the right thing. And now at least 30 states have surging coronavirus cases. And here's the really scare part of the potential impact of the mismanagement. The CDC thinks there may be 10 times as many of us sickened by COVID than what's actually reported. Think about that. It would mean that it could be 20 million of us, not 2 million plus. And yes, of course, the president owns it. Why? He is Mr. Masks or Weakness. He is Mr. Do the Minimum to Help States Protect People but he's sending marshals to protect statues that honor racist figures from our past. And no, I'm not talking about Lincoln and Washington and Jefferson. And you know it. Well, what I don't know, Bro Cuomo, is what do you think about the tearing down of statues of Lincoln and Jefferson and Columbus? Is that okay? You're a Democrat. You're a big lib, millionaire lib, going between your two houses in the Hamptons. During the COVID crisis. Must be tough. Um, What do you think about all that? You got a problem with it? No, of course not. Of course not. He's he's also busy doing these puff interviews with his brother, the governor of New York, because he's a journalist, uh, where they talk about what a great job he's done. Cuomo, in a sane world, would have to resign. I don't just mean resign from his his crappy, uh, propagandistic, left-wing Democrat make-believe news show. I'm talking about the other Cuomo. You know, this Cuomo, the one who wants to make things better. What does he have to do for people to understand that he is terrible at his job, but he wants you to listen to him now? Nobody can tell him that he has to stop this thing. So that governor of New York should resign just based upon the numbers. He, he is throwing shade at Governor DeSantis in Florida 3,000 Floridians have died, 30,000 New Yorkers have died, population roughly the same, and a lot of seniors, more seniors, and more senior centers in Florida than in New York. So 10x, 10x the deaths in New York, but Cuomo thinks he should be lecturing people on how you should wear, wear a mask, wear a mask. I'm, I'm telling you, look, I don't have the evidence right now to say definitively that a mask doesn't do anything, but I think it does very little. If a, if a mask really worked in a meaningful way, explain to me why there was the continued transmission of COVID-19 all throughout the lockdown. When 
everybody who was going anywhere in public was wearing a mask. I just, I want to know. Oh, it reduces, it reduces it by how much? You know the answer? They don't know. They don't know. They just assume. If let's let's just let's think this one through. And I'm not even going to keep harping on this CDC study about influenza that shows that masks uh, basically doesn't really do anything. Now, do I think that a full respirator that, you know, is getting down to like the micron level that do I do I think that people that have face shields and where nothing can penetrate it? Yeah, I think for medical providers. Sure, I'm not. But you think a little piece of cloth over your mouth is, oh, yeah, no, I'm good. Really? How much did mask wearing uh, really, really change the game during the Spanish influenza pandemic? People had little cloth masks on all over the place. You know, I'm, look, I'm asking these questions. Remember, for anybody who goes, how could you be? The science says, really? Because the science at the start of this pandemic, we all remember it, did not say wear a mask. Okay? The, the scientific consensus as of March of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, don't wear a mask. You know, you know, I'm telling you the truth. The World Health Organization guidance, don't wear a mask. We need them for our first responders. First of all, we got masks everywhere. I mean, they're giving out masks at places like I got a mask. Oh, we're going to lose the, we're not going to have masks for our first responders. The people in charge are making these, they're idiots. We can't make enough masks for people. We got masks everywhere. We got warehouses full. We got masks coming out of the, you know, the woodwork. But we're supposed to listen to them now. And if you don't believe them, if you don't listen, you're a bad person. Because the governor wants to tell you you have to wear a mask. You know, my brother's doing a great job interviewing me on his show. Ugh, it's really just, it's really just horrible. But, you know, they're, they're, they've just managed, even though we knew it was coming, even though I told you this was going to happen, Silence about COVID for two weeks of just mayhem and protesters and looters and everything going on. No social distancing. There's a there's an Occupy protest, which is an, basically an encampment with hundreds of people in close quarters. They can do that, but I can't go to a gym, even with social distancing and only allowing a handful of people in at one time. And we could open all the windows and make it basically open air, but... They can do that, but I can't go to a gym because Governor Cuomo says so. And he's a dumb tyrant, but Democrats elected him and they're too stupid to change their minds. So here we are. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really, really uh, fired up about this because they are, they are stealing months of our lives from us. They don't know how to stop this pandemic. They don't know what they're doing. They're making stuff up. You know, enough is enough. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. But we got to fight back. It's not enough. Not enough to be angry about the situation we're being put through. We have to understand how to get out of it. And if we listen to Democrats, we're never... Remember, they are not... They are not incentivized to make the country better right now. And I know that's crazy, but they're crazy. You have to keep this in mind. We want to keep reverting back to we're all on the same team to get people their lives back, get them their jobs back, and, and allow life to continue. Democrats, no. 
No, keep keep America in prison as long as but the whole country. Keep it locked down in prison. And where there are riots going on in the prison, right, with the lockdown, keep that as long as possible. Misery, despair, that's that's the currency that Democrats want. That's what they're going to use to take power in the fall. We have we have a this is why I keep saying it is an insurgency. We have one side that wants stability, safety, prosperity, and the other side that wants rage and arson and looting and panic. It's happening every day. It keeps playing out. When was the last when was the last time you saw a good news story on CNN? Do yourself a favor, go check out the website. Look for look for a story that is good news about this country right now. You won't find it. You won't find it. Mm-mm. MSNBC, same thing. ABC News, which is just as bad as the other, same thing. Nope, not, not going to happen. We should all understand what we're up against right now. They are going to try and lock down again. If they do, it's all over for Trump. If they get a second lockdown, if they frighten people that much that we have another lockdown. I mean, in, in Arizona, I think I, I've got to start pulling some of these numbers so I can make the case to you about this. And, but first, producer Brandon, would you play clip seven for us on this issue of the second lockdown? The economy is not going to be closed down again. Uh, there may be certain places where there is. That's up to the local authorities. I, I don't deny that. But um, fatalities are still down, and there's a lot of positive declines in cases, just as there are negative declines in cases. So, you know, you just have to walk through that. But no, we, we will not uh, shut the economy down. We're not getting that advice from help. So the federal government's saying they're not going to shut the economy down, but what is going to happen? And you know I've been telling you that this should be our expectation all along. What is going to happen now? The states, certain states, will not shut down entirely, but they don't have to. They will just reassert their power under this this declaration that the Constitution does not matter because of COVID. And they'll put us all into phase two or phase three or phase one or phase zero or whatever. And they'll think that they'll tell their constituents, we're keeping you safe. Keep protesting. Oh, we're not going to stop you from doing that. Organize, organize just like they would want them to. This is one hand washing the other. Democrats in big Democrat states keep us all miserable and on lockdown. And then they allow people to organize against the Republican Party. That's the, this is one, this is the, the one-two punch that we are facing the Democratic Party. We should understand it right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Florida's in the news a lot these days. So is Texas. They're saying there's big COVID spikes. We're all supposed to panic. I thought we were going to move the Freedom Hunt to Florida. What the heck is really going on down there? And also, I want to bring on somebody who understands the dynamics of the Trump White House and the president himself, knows him quite well personally. Our friend Andy Dean is back in the mix. He is an entrepreneur, radio host, conservative commentator, podcaster, man about town. Mr. Dean, good to have you. Great to be here. Thanks, Buck. How are you? I'm all right, man. So you're down in Florida. DeSantis was basically the guy putting on a clinic for a while on how to handle COVID. And now Cuomo's saying he played politics and it's out of control there and all kinds of things are going on. What's really happening in Florida with the response to COVID? Right. Well, first to Cuomo, 
who him and his brother just, uh, you know, they're total disasters. And the fact that Cuomo had his fancy press conferences for 100 days in which he did nothing but play politics, and then all of a sudden he's preaching to other people. Anyone with any common sense knows that that's a sad, hypocritical joke. Uh, as far as Florida, uh, there have been a rise in cases. Some of this is due to more testing, which people know. The key thing, of course, is to watch the positivity rate and then watch ICU admissions and then deaths. The good news is when it comes to mortality, deaths, that's staying somewhat level at about 40 to 50 a day in Florida. And considering that naturally in Florida, every day there are about 700 people that die of all causes and 40 to 50 are from COVID. If you look at that percentage, um, it's less than 10%. And in general, when less than 10% of the population may have COVID at any given point, uh, when you test dead people looking for something, you're going to find a lot of things in their system. So it's not so much cause for alarm because the death rates haven't changed, but the actual testing and positivity rates are going up slightly, but they're very variable. Like, for instance, uh, I have the numbers here in Broward County, and the positivity rate, of course, means the number of people they test, how many are testing positive. On Tuesday, the positivity rate in Broward County was 11%, and then on Wednesday, 6.5%. And then on Thursday, it jumped back up again. In Miami-Dade, it was 19.5% on Tuesday, then down to 10.1% on Wednesday. And then it jumped up again a little bit yesterday. So these numbers statistically are all over the map. It's hard to look at any one given day uh, and, and draw a trend line. So it's going to take a little bit more time. But I think in aggregate, you are getting more cases because you're having more testing, and there is a slightly higher positivity rate. But are you guys worry that you're going to have to go backwards in terms of lockdowns in your state because Florida was kind of the beacon of hope for those of us, especially in New York. We're saying, look, it is possible to have a lot of seniors and have population density, but to control this thing, does it still feel like it's under control down there? Or are people really talking about how they're going to shut down all the rest or, you know, everything's going to get shut down again? Yeah. So actually I just came from a, a diner uh, an hour ago for lunch and I was talking about that with the guy who owns six diners in Fort Lauderdale, and he doesn't have, no pun intended, the stomach to close down again. I don't think anybody does. It's just enough is enough. We all get it. All this is is how you define risk. I mean, your odds of dying in a car wreck are one in 103 in your lifetime. And if you're young and healthy and under the age of 30, your odds of dying of coronavirus are more like one in a million. So the riskiest thing you can ever do in life, well, besides being like an injectable drug user or something, is to get into your car. And so if people are willing to get into their car, they're making a, an, an omission, a contract, a silent contract, that they're willing to entertain risk in their lives. And so for me, I look at this as all an exercise in futility. It's all silly because the death rate in aggregate, the mortality rate of COVID, is now so, so low. It's closer to what the flu is in any given year. It's about 0.2%, the flu is about 0.1, 0.15%. So in aggregate, I think that this entire thing is stupid. You know, of course, that's my opinion. The country of Sweden agrees with me. I think the way that they handled it in retrospect a year from now will be looked on as the only right way to handle it, which is you take care of the most vulnerable, you separate them, you may not have large events, but everybody else, we need to live our lives because the only other option is we stay cloistered up in our houses or in our apartments, and we all die from something different, which is a, a dysfunctional economy. 
in which people are committing suicide or they have no money so they can't access health care. So it all just depends on how you look at risk. And Andy, I, I wanted to, uh, we're speaking to Andy Dean, podcaster, radio host, entrepreneur, uh, conservative commentator. Uh, had some great had some great stuff on CNN back in the day. Uh, always appreciated Andy. You were going to go on CNN when well, you were going on when people were shook to go on CNN. You know they were like, oh my God, Andy would Andy would do it. He'd get in the fight. And you were an early Trump surrogate. You know the president. You know Donald Trump personally pretty well. I'm worried about the guy, man. I see him. It just feels like he's he's you know lost a step recently. He's a little beaten down. He doesn't. But I know that you're you're a guy who's seen what he's able to pull off. You know, what can you tell us on the on the upside here? I mean, you think Donald's just is he playing a little rope a dope and he's going to come out, you know, throwing haymakers any moment now? What's happening? Sure. So I think my answer is to how is he going to do in November? It is that nobody can predict the future. And that may be an obvious thing, but a lot of pundits forget that, that, you know, four to five months from now, we're going to have the election. Right. But four to five months ago. What were the top stories in the news? It was, you know, the Australia wildfires and, you know, the tragedy with Kobe Bryant. And then over the next, um, you know, four to five months, who the heck could have predicted everything that transpired? So then you have to extrapolate that out into four to five months from now, what's going to happen? And we have zero clue. I mean, I think a likely scenario to the upside an unexpected event is I think we're going to see a vaccine in October. Uh, and the reason why I think that is that back in 2009 with H1N1, they developed a vaccine that was 90% effective within eight months. And a lot of people forget that. And so I think it's going to come in October. So I think that that's going to give them a lot of mojo, a lot of momentum. And then look, the debates are going to be critically important in October. And it's impossible to predict, you know, pundits will tell you whatever, because they get paid to do that. And I don't blame them if, you know, it's easy to be a pundit and it's easy to get paid and just spout nonsense. But the reality is in October, these debates are going to happen. A hundred million Americans are going to be watching. And who the hell knows? I mean, with Joe Biden and the few marbles he has rolling around in his head, is it possible, you know, that they wake him up from the semi-comatose state that he lives in and inject him with something that they give to horses in the Kentucky Derby and he does great? Yeah, that's very possible. And he, he could do an excellent job in the debates. My gut tells me is that he's going to lose his train of thought every 20 seconds and the American public are going to reassess their choices. And as we know, in a democracy, no choice is perfect, but you make the best one that's in front of you. So if the election were held today, I agree, Trump might be in rough standing, but in four to five months, who the hell knows what's going to happen? Andy Dean, everybody. Andy, always appreciate it, man. Stay safe down in Florida. Keep a spare bedroom open for me and producer Mark so we can get some sun sometime. Sounds good. So I only have one extra bedroom you guys can share. <laughs> Producer Mark's a cuddly one. Thanks, man. All right. I ha- I'll get bunk beds for you guys. No problem. Uh, race car bunk beds, please. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Take care. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I like the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Not for the kids, so it's only for adults. But I think it's a pretty good movie. Producer Brandon, you ever see that one? I have, several times. I like it. I don't know. And my little sister says that I remind her a little bit sometimes of that guy, uh, Jason Siegel, I think, that actor. So, you know, I'll take it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a fun movie. It's funny. It's the best thing Russell, wait, Ru- yeah, Russell Brand has, has ever done, in my opinion. And it's just an entertaining film overall. So 
it's with a little bit of it's with a little bit of awe. Too bad that I see the the female, uh, the actress in that, the main female, or I guess one of two main females, Kristen Bell, uh, has decided that she has to go through one of these wokeness struggle sessions. And before I, I take you through her specific struggle session, let's, let's just understand what it is. It was struggle sessions came from Maoist China during the Cultural Revolution because things didn't work out very well. In the, in the 1960s with Mao Zedong, right? We always talk about Mao and what happened in communist red China. Things weren't going well. And they had some enormously unsuccessful and disastrous policies. And when you're running an autocracy that's really just based on uh, brute force and Marxism, what do you do when things go badly? Do you, do you take responsibility and say, we'll make different decisions? No, you got to find enemies. Kind of sounds like Democrats, doesn't it? You got to find people who are the problem and you pin it all on them. So what ended up happening was a, a public purge of the intellectuals and class enemies of all kinds. And you would do this very publicly. They got students to be involved in this. They told the students, the young, they radicalized the young and said, you're a part of the revolution. You will be the Red Guards, the paramilitary Red Guards of Mao's revolution. And then those Red Guards would be in charge of finding people who are from the old society and, and are effectively enemies of the revolution or counter-revolutionaries. The Soviets had a very, sim very similar thing. Um, and then they had these struggle sessions where people would be held out and sometimes even marched before a crowd. They'd be held up, marched before a crowd, paraded through streets, paraded across the campus, and they would just be publicly humiliated. And no one even knew what they were really guilty of. Other than you just, but you had to have these people who were put forward, who were humiliated publicly, and then and then behind closed doors, tortured and destroyed, as a as a giant scapegoating for the failures of communist Mao policies and society. Right? Oh, look at these people! Oh, this is and this goes back to uh, if you if you haven't again read nineteen eighty four. Um, you have to you have to do that to really understand this current moment. I mean, the Democrats are almost using it as a how to manual. And you'll have the, the two minutes hate where you had people, members of the outer party of Oceania, Oceania would be watching uh, on a screen and they would just show, oh, we hate him so much. And everyone has to turn against um, Emmanuel Goldstein the enemy of the people, and the two minutes hate. Ah, oh, that's, and that's, that's a, a version of a struggle session, right? That's just, this is the problem. See, be angry at this person. Kind of like the cops, right? You see that? Oh, the cops are the reason we have all this. No, no, the cops are not the reason that there is a disproportionate homicide rate in certain communities in certain places in this country. It's not the cops' fault. The cops are not the reason why there is a continued failure of the public school system in inner city schools. The cops are not the reason why there's opioid overdose, uh, pand uh, opioid overdose pandemic happening and why 
There's continued drug use and broken families and despair and domestic abuse. No, 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 no. The cops prevent that virus from infecting all of society. The cops prevent those dysfunctions within society from spilling out and becoming society. Thank you, law enforcement. But you'll notice that they have been picked as the class enemy right now. And then also, let's be honest, white people are also part of this struggle session. They're actually at the the very heart of it now. It's really shifted from police to now it's about systemic racism and oppression and the history of colonialism and statues of white people. I have not seen a statue of a non-white person be destroyed yet, although I guess, well, they wanted to go after the conquistador de Oñate, so maybe. But is a Spaniard white? I think so. Whole other conversation. So that then brings me to this Christian. Why was I talking about Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which is a movie that I I do like? Uh, It's because Kristen Bell, who is a very pretty, but based on this this posting, not not all too bright actress. uh, She... (laughs) You got to read this. I mean, this reads like a hostage letter written from inside the Gender and Oppression Studies Department at a third-tier liberal arts college. Yeah. So she shared this statement. I don't even know what this show is or anything else, but it was uh, from the... the, What what is the show called again? Playing the Molly in Central Park character. That's what this was all about. Now, she cast a mixed-race character with a white actress, or they cast a mixed-race character with a white actress, which Kristen Bell says undermines the specificity of the mixed-race and black American experience. So I just want to be very clear. If you have a mixed-race character, that character can be played by a mixed-race person, so a person who has parents of different races, or can be played, I would assume, by a person who is black or uh, representative of, a, of the minority you know, within that pairing of, of parents, right? So if your parents are white and his, if your mom is white and your dad is Hispanic, the left thinks it's okay for a Hispanic person to play that character. Or if your mom is white or you know, your dad is white and your mom is black, a black person can play that character. A mixed race person can play that character, but the white person cannot. These are the new rules. These are the new rules we are being told we have to live under. And if you think this is weird, you got a problem with it. You're a racist. You're a bad person. That's what they want you to know. Kristen Bell puts this out. This is a time to acknowledge our acts of complicity. Here's one of mine. This is a public, please, please, you know, flagellate me, uh, abuse me, attack, attack me for my misdeeds. I, I must be punished. I, I'm wearing a, a horsehair shirt. Some of you who know the history of the Catholic Church will understand what that's all about. You know, I, I'm, I need to be punished for my evil in the past or for my lack of wokeness. And, and there was this I mean, the statement that was put out by the Central Central Park is a show. The statement that was put out is stunning. You have to this is the 
This is important because the words that the left forces people to use are not the way that any normal person speaks, but this is like the repetition you have of a cult. There are phrases and there are concepts that you must just repeat brainlessly and endlessly to show your obedience, your fealty to the movement. And you better not think about what you're saying because these are thoughtless things to say. They don't make sense. Here's the Central Park team. Producer Brand, do you know what this Central Park show is? Do you know what I'm talking about with this? I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. Is it it a TV show? It's a cartoon. I think it's on Netflix. Oh. Um, Well, interesting. Anyway, Christian Bell is an extraordinarily talented actress who joined the cast of Central Park nearly the first day of the show's development. But after reflection, Christian, along with the entire creative team, recognizes that the casting of the character of Molly is an opportunity to get representation right, to cast a black or mixed-race actress and give Molly a voice that resonates with all the nuance and experience of the character as we've drawn her. Kristen will continue to be a part of the show in a new role, but we'll find a new actress. Black people and people of color have worked and will continue to work on Central Park, but we can do better. We're committed to creating opportunities for people of color and black people in all roles, on all our projects, behind the mic, etc. Animation, it is a cartoon, will be stronger for having as many voices, experiences, and perspectives as we possibly can bring into the industry. Well, but you just said Kristen Bell can't be a part of, of this character. So well, what exactly is going on here? And then she says, this is a time to acknowledge our acts of complicity. Here's one of mine. Playing the Molly character in Central Park shows a lack of awareness of my pervasive privilege. Casting a mixed race character with a white actress undermines the specificity of the mixed race and black American experience. What? It's a cartoon. What? What, what is this? Think about this for a second. She's an actress. They play people they are not. She's an actress who's doing a voiceover for a cartoon. And she has to put out this hostage statement. I'm sorry for my complicity. And and look, I don't know if she really believes this or if she's just bending the knee because she wants to have jobs in Hollywood. But, you know, this is somebody who in her, she has 2.7 million Twitter followers. Why do people follow people who don't know anything, have nothing to say of their own on social media? Oh, my gosh, the youth is lost. The youth is lost. We just, we elevate idiots and we wonder why the country is in this position. In her Twitter avatar, she has Lynn uh, Manuel, Lynn, you know, what's his name? Lynn Manuel Miranda, right? Lynn Manuel Miranda, the guy that founded Hamilton, which is a show that casts entirely minorities playing white historical figures. But so so it can go that way, but it can't go the other way. These are these are the new rules. Don't question the rules. Bend the knee. Shut your mouth. Don't question the rules. You want to lose your job? You want HR to come knock on your door or send you an email? We have to have a talk about diversity and inclusion. But wait, hold on. I thought I thought we were in the trust tree. I thought we were in the nest and we could discuss that, you know, we already have a lot of diversity hiring programs and like, well, what? I'm sorry, were you were you asking a question about it as a as a white person or are you in corporate America now asking a question about a diversity and inclusion program? 
I'm not even I'm not even asking if you're asking a bad question. Are you asking any question? Because you're supposed to shut your mouth, nod your head. You're supposed to have a nice warm glass to shut the heck up. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to ask any questions. I'm sorry for my white privilege. You're right. I just like, I'm so like white. and I'm just like, I wanted to go. This is the country you live in now. This is what the left has foisted upon us. It is a madness. It is a sickness of the mind and it is pulling us apart. The idiots, many of them rich and famous, unfortunately, are running the show now, folks, in every sense. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Driving while black, jogging while black, sleeping while black. We have been criminalized for the very way we show up in the world. Under the harsh gaze of far too many, my black body is seen as a threat always considered armed. Centuries of institutionalized oppression will not be undone overnight, for racism in America is as structural as the marble pillars of this very institution. With the power of the pen, we must legislate accountability, dismantle these systems, and move in the direction of justice and healing. The Justice and Policing Act is a critical step forward, and I applaud the leadership of the Congressional Black Caucus, but our work is unfinished. There is a rallying cry in communities across the nation. Black Lives Matter is a mandate from the people. It's time. Pay us what you owe us. Our black skin is not a crime. It is the beautiful robe of nation builders. I mean, this is just the kind of rhetoric that you're going to continue to hear until people say, what is she talking about? Is anyone in the country, she's claiming here that that there are people who criminalize black skin. That is her claim. That is what she has said. Where does that exist in the law or in practice? I need to know. Are all all the people who are being arrested for various crimes across the country, are, are cops letting people offer crimes who are white and arresting people who are black because of their skin color for committing the same offense. Is that the allegation? I'd like to see the evidence. I'd like to see the data. These are sweeping claims that, that sound to somebody. It almost sounds thoughtful if you're a leftist and then you think through this and the, the, the accountability act for police, what, what are they going to do? Oh, greater transparency and accountability. How is that supposed to work? It's going to mean what? That now cops can't do, if cops can't do chokeholds, if their uh, complaints about them are put out there for public view, you're not going to have uh, 20 unarmed black men a year killed in the United States, a country of 320 million people. You, you what? You might, you might cut it down, you think? to I, I, Theoretically, you might cut it down to 10, maybe to 5. If we cut it down to zero next year, do you think that anybody, anybody who's currently out there protesting and everything else would be satisfied with it? Would they? No, of course not. Because it's about so much more than that. It's about the entire system. They claim the whole system is racist. On what evidence? On what evidence is the law? And then what evidence is law enforcement racist? As I've told you before, we can get into, if we want to get into disparate impact and uh, disparate per capita rates of different law-breaking and criminal activity, you could make a very you could make a very strong case that if that's the approach you take, white collar criminals are overwhelmingly white, right? So is that targeting the white community? Uh, finance crimes, Wall Street crimes, overwhelmingly white guys, white men, not even just you know white men, overwhelmingly. 
is that do, do I want to advocate for the abolition of that law because it no laws on assault on rape overwhelmingly target men not women is that a case of hating men targeting men no men break those very valid and necessary laws a lot more than women do is that evidence of systemic uh, systemic oppression of men no person argues it's the case and yet look at the way we're having discussions right now about the system but just be lectured don't ask any questions thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts is there anything too crazy for libs right now when it comes to this war on the very foundations of this country, on looking at all of us as individuals, on judging people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin? Is, is there anything that it just even the libs would say, oh, that's I mean, come on, that's a little too much. They're trying to restore affirmative action now. The University of California system, it, it had been gone for over a decade now. System still function, people still going to school, but all it meant is that you had fewer um, Hispanic and, uh, and black students going to the two most difficult to get into UC schools, but they didn't really change the overall makeup of the rest of the institution in terms of the demographics, right? It was essentially the same, but you didn't have as many black and Latino students going to Berkeley and going to UCLA, and that's unacceptable. The left wants that to change again. And so then you'll have students that would not have gotten into those schools who get into those schools, who struggle with the academic work that happens in those schools because the standards have been lowered academically. We all know that this is what happens. And then they'll leave those schools. They'll have this fancy credential. But anybody who says, hmm, hold on a second, you know, what, what is this really good for that student going forward? How dare you? How dare you? You know? Okay, well, I thought this was supposed to be about elite academic ability in these schools and not running a social engineering experiment, but the left obviously doesn't see it that way. So that's what's going to happen. And if you say, hold on, if, if you state things that are true, like what I just said, there will be students who are black or Latino once they restore affirmative action who academically are ill-prepared, not for college, but for Berkeley or UCLA, very competitive admission schools, that's considered a you're just you're, you're talking about the facts and they're going to say, oh, no, you can't do that. And that it will discriminate against Asian students. Overwhelmingly, the, the single biggest demographic at, at these schools um, is is Asian. Right. That's the single. Bi- I mean, I think there's a majority of students at Berkeley now who are Asian, more Asians than whites. It's might it's close. I might be. But, I mean, a lot of Asian students getting in. And we, we never are allowed to sort of talk about, okay, Asian per capita household wealth higher than white per capita household wealth in a country that the left tells us is so racist and there's so much white privilege. And, you know, Asians were discriminated against. Asians during World War II were put into internment camps by Democrat FDR, of course. You know, there was the, the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, you know, there were all these different efforts to expel Asians after they were brought here to help with the railroads, to build the railroad system. You know, there was a lot of discrimination against the Asian community in this country, now the Asian-American community. 
And yet they have risen to a point where socioeconomically they're in a better position than the white majority. But we're so racist in this country. Well, why are we so racist when this isn't even, you know, if it's a system of oppression, how, how did the Asian-American community manage to, but, you know, Asians tend to be Democrats and, you know, Asian-Americans rather. And so they, you know, they don't want to, they, they don't like being used as the, quote, model minority, end quote. That's often the, the criticism here. And I just, I point this out because we keep, we keep repeating these cycles and having these conversations and, they're, they're one of the reasons why nothing really improves is that we can't talk about what's happening. We have to always have discussions with a, a heightened sensitivity to whatever the left declares is acceptable and not acceptable. Uh, otherwise, you lose your job. So they, they want you to walk through a minefield to talk about issues of race in this country. They want you to the left insists we all walk through. You know, it's a minefield if you're a white guy who's not a liberal. Right. Then you're you know. They want you to walk through the minefield and then they complain that you're not running through the minefield. Why? Why are you? Why are you just kind of walking? So uh, in such a dainty fashion, why are you so cautious all the time? Come on, go a little faster. What's wrong? Can't we have a conversation? You're like, I don't want you've put all these mines here. And if I say something that, you know, it's just if I just say certain facts, certain data you can bring up, boom, blown up, you're done. You're done. We got another one. And they like that. They like that. That sends a message that's important for the left, important for Democrats. See, this guy stepped out of line with wrong think, got blown away, so to speak, um, metaphorically. So I bring this up because, I mean, when, when is it too much? When is it too crazy? Uh, in an Oregon county, I mentioned this early in the week on the show and I actually didn't get around to it because I was so busy talking to other things. A county in Oregon has this, according to CBS News, okay, this is a news story, vetted, true, has, quote, decided to make people of color exempt from its mandatory mask policy, citing the potential for racial profiling. The decision comes as multiple counties in Oregon have ramped up face covering requirements to slow the spread of coronavirus. (sighs) That's right. Masking for everybody to stop coronavirus, unless you're a minority and don't like the idea of wearing a mask. Then in this county, uh, look, this is libs running the show. Okay, this is libs in charge, the Democrats. Uh, If you don't want to and you're a minority, well, then you get a pass. How how is this not how is this not? Illegal, you know, really ask me this. So now so now racial discrimination is acceptable as long as it is against and I mean, in the law, legally speaking, it's acceptable as long as you are um, white. You can be discriminated against if you are white. Your rights can be trampled on if you are white in certain areas. And explicitly in the law, it says that, you know, if you're white, you got to do this. If you're not white, no, no, you don't have to. Does anyone want to try to defend this on the left? They will. Well, any of the big names out there? Where's fake tapper when we need him? Oh, I'm a journo. Sure you are. You jerk. This is the uh, CBS piece wrote this violence and discrimination. This is for the um, this is from the county involved here. Violence and discrimination are a daily experience for people who are black, indigenous and people of color. Violence is a daily experience. Uh, Racism and racist reactions to black, indigenous and people of color wearing face coverings is a reality. And yet we know face coverings can help people and save lives. Multnomah County does not does not tolerate discrimination or violence toward individuals.
because of their race, ethnicity, or identity. So that means that face coverings don't have to be worn by those individuals? Yep. That's what it means. It's troubling, friends. And it's going to get more troubling. It's going to get worse until people will say, this is crap. This isn't who we are. We're not a country that sees everybody based on their race, first and foremost. We don't make distinctions or decisions about people, good or bad, based on their race. That's racism. Racism is a very simple definition, right? It is making decisions, distinctions, criticism, or praise based upon skin color, based upon race. There is not good racism and bad racism. Racism is bad. Democrats, of course, don't accept this. I saw this story. I mean, the Huff, the Huff Post is, is completely insane. But I'll just read you some of this because you're going to see more. This is more of the struggle session. More of the, oh, my gosh, I have been part of the systemic oppression and not recognizing my privilege. And I'm playing into stereotype by doing this or that. All this stuff. I'll just read you some of this. This was published in the Huffington Post as a piece by a, a guest writer. Quote, I'm an Asian woman engaged to a white man, and honestly, I'm struggling with that. Oh, God, another Asian girl, white boy couple, I groan, dropping my fiance's hand. He hates it when I do this. So do I, really. I know it's unkind and self-loathing, but every time I see another couple of our racial makeup, a little part of me sinks. We live in San Francisco, so this dip is as common as the hills. In these moments, I wish we were anything else. That he were my gay best friend, or we were startup co-founders. That he were Asian and I were white. Or that we were exquisitely ambiguous races. Or that I could sink like my feelings into the sidewalk and be a little worm and date whoever I wanted without considering social percep uh, perception. Shame is neither the wisest nor most mature part of oneself, but it still has a voice. Stop it, guys, my shame wants to say to these other couples. Can't you see the more of us are, the more of us there are, the worse it looks? It, meaning the prevalent trend of Asian women seeming to end up with white men. It, meaning the perpetuation of Asian fetish. This is so sad. It's really sad um, that somebody would be in a relationship with another human being and think about how this looks on the you know, the the race dating statistics like who cares? Who cares? Uh, I mean, this is one area where we would think, you know, you're allowed to love who you love, like who you like, be with who you want to be with. You know, one of the great things about America is that you walk around, date anyone you want. No one, you know, it, it, no one, no one has a problem with it. It's no one's business. And anyone else who has a problem with it is a moron. But you see, libs, because they've so brainwashed themselves now into this, they, they have a problem with it. And, and there's like this tone of, in this whole piece, this tone of apology from an Asian woman dating a white man because, oh, look at us, we're doing this thing that is a, has become this stereotype and I'm playing into Asian fetish. Why would you undermine your fiance? Maybe he just loves you as a human being. I mean, I don't know these people, but you know, you're, you're essentially assuming that you're playing into this Asian fetish. No, people just like to date people they're attracted to. They want to be around. But this is also going to be a place where, look, the, the revolution makes no 
uh, makes no exceptions or concessions. You know, the left wing Marxist identity politics revolution that we're going through right now doesn't matter if you just love a person for loving that person. There'll be people who think they're allowed to question you, who are allowed to. I mean, think about this, right? We've come to a place as a country where you can date anyone you want of any race you want. And I know that was not always the case. And legally speaking, was not always even the case. We've come to a place now where that is absolutely all 50 states, date whoever you want. That's the America we live in, and God bless it, and it's wonderful. People of any race, creed, or color, date them, love them, marry them, make, you know, make a life together, have kids. And now Democrats, the left, is saying, well, you know, I feel like I shouldn't be perpetuating this cycle of Asian woman dating white men. Why? You love who you love, you date who you date. Who the, who the heck cares what anybody else says? But this is how rotten their, rotten their ideology has gotten. And this is really, it's, it is truly sad. You know, it's like these articles you read about kids who, who are publicly calling out their parents for being Trump supporters, turning on your own family. No political belief or political party or wokeness or, you know, Facebook likes. None of this is worth, is worth ever, ever turning your back on your own family and the people who love you and care about you. That's all, that's all that really matters. All this other stuff is just... It's just distraction. But the left uh, finds nothing sacred, certainly not God and not even the love that one man and one woman can have for each other. First and foremost, got to look at the demographics and see how that plays into the lib narrative of all the white supremacy and systemic racism out there. Uh, these people are these people are damaged. They're psychologically and emotionally damaged. It's the truth. And it's sad for this country. And the best thing that we can do is Tell them that they're sad and damaged and that we on the right, we who are conservatives, date whoever we want, love whoever we want, don't care about the color, don't care about the ethnic origin. We just we're just about people. And ultimately, that's that's the best place to be. That's the truest place to be. We care about individuals. We care about human beings. Why can't the left just adopt that? Oh, because of systems of oppression. This is all talking points for morons. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, time to get into the roll call where we get to hear from all of you, including voicemail time, which I really, really enjoy. Producer Brandon, fire, fire number one. This is uh, Joe from Austin, Texas, and um, I really like your program. I don't get to hear Rush much anymore, but... I faithfully listen to you every night. So keep up the good work. You're the heir apparent. Thank you so much, Joe. That's really high praise. That's very kind of you. And I'm honored that you listen to me at night. And uh, the fact that I'm even talked about in the same breath, the same paragraph as Rush Limbaugh is uh, there's there's no higher praise professionally that I could ever have. I mean, that man is the goat, the greatest of all time. Next up, please uh, fire away, producer Brandon. Hey, Buck, long-time listener from Springfield, Ohio, named Chris. Uh, I need some pick-me-up. Don't know what to do. I'm about to throw in the towel. We've just spent two hours arguing with a 12-year-old about racist country. What are you supposed to do when you're so outnumbered? The media, the education, all the politicians, they all just lie every single day. But keep up the good work, Buck. Later. Hey, thanks, my man. Thanks, Chris. Look, I, I, I get the frustration and I'm in this business and I'm trying to fight every day. And 
And I, I understand why you would have these feelings. And here's what I'll tell you. Um, with kids, I don't have kids, so you know more about that than I do. But for debate, <laughs> so when it comes to debate, that I understand pretty well. And a really good way to go, a really good way to, especially when people have been indoctrinated and, and young people don't know anything about politics, they don't know anything about, and when I say young people, I mean 12-year-olds don't understand society. They're still being taught. Uh, it's a good tactic, I think, often to ask them what would need to be true for them to not believe the thing that they believe. And I know that can sound a little bit, but say, okay, you think America is a racist country. What would need to happen for America to not be a racist country? How would we not have racist law enforcement and work at the problem that way? I think that can be very instructive. I use it with with libs that I talked to you about a whole number of issues, right? And that's that can be and because what you'll often find out is that they'll say, oh, you know, Donald Trump is a fascist. And I'll say, OK, well, what would be what would have to be true for Donald Trump to not be a fascist? Uh, a great example of this was I, I had this this liberal group when I was doing the, the Hill show uh, for Hill TV rising uh, with now was with uh, Crystal Ball at the time. Now Sagar and Jetty has taken over my seat. And I, I remember we had someone come in. They were talking about regulations and how all Trump has done is cut regulations and he's cut, you know, 15,000 regulations or whatever. I'm making up that number, but whatever it is out of the federal code and started going through all of the good regulations, you know, in their opinion that he cut. And I just asked a very simple question. I said, OK, so your group is all about uh, regulation and opposed to Trump's cutting of regulations. And this is what you do day in and day out. This is what your pack or your think tank or whatever it was. Are any of the 15,000 regulations that Trump cut, do you support a sin? Can you name one that you actually support? One. Crickets. Nothing. Not a one. And that just, they were saying, and you have to understand this too, that they were a nonpartisan group. That was, the, that was the claim. And I said, okay, so you're all about Trump's regulation cutting, and you're just there to be a public education foundation about regulations and how they're necessary. And you're telling me you're not partisan. You can rattle off all the regulations Trump cut that you don't like that he cut. He cut 15,000 and you can name one that was good. No idea. Done. Exposed. Booyah. Finished. Right. Look for. And I'm not saying finish him. Like, I'm not saying look for opportunities to make a kid feel dumb. Uh, But you should certainly approach. I'd say come at the arguments in different ways and also know that you're talking to a kid. And you know more than kids than I do because I don't have any yet, but I'm working on it. Not that fast, but I'm working on it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Brandon from Colorado, and I just want to say I absolutely love your guys' show. I've been listening to your show for a couple years. I would rather listen to you guys than the Sean Hannity show, the Rush Limbaugh show. Like, you guys are, like, number one. You're awesome. Love you guys. Um, I 100% agree with Buck when he always is talking about how this is war. And I agree 100%. The Democrats know that this is war, and they are doing everything that they can to destroy this country. And I think that um, you're right, Buck. We as Americans, as patriots, we've got to stand up. We've got to fight for our country. So love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. That was a fantastic voicemail. Thank you so much. Very kind. Very uh very generous to us and, and what we do here in the Freedom Hut. So thank you. And that really does mean a lot. I, I love this stuff, man. This sets me sends me off from the weekend in a good mood, which these days 
good mood can be kind of hard to come by. But uh, thank you for, for your support and for listening to us. And yes, I think that we need to understand that we are in an ideological fight, that this isn't just about, you know, whether or not Trump will win this election. It's what does the country look like if he loses? And, you know, I, I wasn't somebody who thought, look, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the last election. So I, and I'm honest about that. So I, and I wasn't telling everybody, oh, if she wins, you know, the country's going to fall apart and be destroyed. I mean, I thought it was going to be really bad. But with the left as it is right now, they'll be able to claim that the reason Biden won is because of their tactics, because of the shock troops on the streets and the looting and the arson and the rioting and all this. And that is going to then be reflected in the kinds of policies the Democrats are instituting. The left has taken over the Democrat Party. I mean, the socialists effectively run the Democrat Party now. It's just the Democrats provide cover for them and make things seem, you know, more acceptable, more palatable to those uh, independent voters and to the swing voters that are going to be the difference makers in states. Although, obviously, you know, this is where <laughs> the classic line from a political analyst, it's really going to come down to turnout. You know, yeah. Just like it's really going to come down to whichever team scores more points. Well done. Good call. Um, so thank you, Brandon, for uh, for calling in. Uh, producer Brandon, who's next? Hi, Buck. I'm producer Mark. It's Jerry here from sunny Scotland. I'm a huge fan of the show. Uh, I love the stuff that he's put out. You know, it gives me lots of ammunition to try and red pill the libs that are over here in the UK. Uh, there are lots of them, even though we are ruled by the Conservative Party, they're very to the left. So it's great to actually get some proper content and information from you guys over the pond, as there isn't really anyone this side of the Atlantic that does the same. Again, well done for what you do. Really, really glad to, to listen to you on a daily basis and keep up the good work. Shields high. Shields High from Scotland, man. That is awesome. Okay, let's just all say it. That guy had the most badass accident, uh, uh, accent, sorry, badass accent I've ever heard of. That was amazing. I honestly felt like I should put on a kilt and grab a broadsword, you know, grab my claymore and start running across the field at the English. That was awesome. Hey, man, thank you so much for your fantastic voicemail. And I always say that we, got, we have listeners all over the world. We really do, um, which is really fun. I mean, that's one of the great things about the digital age we live in. We have listeners in uh, downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan. We've had listeners downrange in Syria, obviously all, all military folks. We have listeners in South Korea, uh, in Ireland, in Israel, in Canada, in and by the way, if you're listening, we used to have a Team Buck Czech Republic. We had someone someone listening right in from the Czech Republic. If you're part of Team Buck International and I don't and I'm not giving you a shout out for your country, please at least send us in a, a quick Facebook message so we know that we've got, you know, I don't know, Team Buck uh, Guatemala in the mix or Team Buck Uzbekistan, wherever. I don't know. I'm sure we got people all over the place. So uh, please do let us know. That's really fun. But that was a great I mean, producer Brandon, that was a pretty awesome message, right? Oh, yeah. I was ready to, to scream freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Man. That guy's awesome. Hey, look, if I, I the more Brits, I mean, we're, it's so important to us that our our Western European brothers and sisters, our European brothers and sisters, uh, you know, maintain 
sanity and, and what we would call some degree of conservative politics. I mean, I know the political alignments there are a little bit different, but things like, you know, constitutionalism. I know they don't have constitutions, but, you know, contracts, rule of law, fact based, evidence based decision making, individual rights, individual freedom, liberty. We need that everywhere. You know, we need that as, in as many places in the world as possible. You know, I want Team Buck Japan listening to this. You know, I want everybody listening. Uh, all right. Uh, next one, please. What's going on, Bob? Producer Mark. Hope y'all doing good. Uh, real quick, uh, I just got a quick question. So I'm trying to fight the good fight, put out information, try not to be a uh, silent majority person, but actually a wartime conservative. And I just want to know what are some good books to start reading specifically about, you know, kind of understanding some of the Bolshevik tactics that we're seeing. I've down, you know, downloaded a couple things, and I've also purchased uh, – Rules for Radicals, as well as the Federalist Papers, a bunch of other books that the liberals will probably ban eventually. But just kind of want some advice and some other good books so I can further understand the history of what's going on here so I can better uh, fight against it. Shield time, Buck. Shield time, my man. Thank you so much for calling in. You got a, you got a great start there with that book list. Uh, you have Rules for Radicals, which, remember, there you're reading the enemy treatise. You're reading the enemy tactics. That's important. You got to if, if the enemy gives you a handbook, this is how we're going to fight. Don't you want to know? That's rules for radicals. Um, there's also a book if you're if you're up for it. That is the it is a a treatise a uh, you know the an enemy manual called the uh, it's written by the Invisible Committee. It's called the Coming Insurrection. Uh, I would I would check that one out too. That's a little harder to find. It is online. You can get it, but. Uh, the coming insurrection. It might even be like a Google. If you just Google it, you can read a PDF of it. But if you're looking for really classic text to understand what's going on, and this is making the rounds in, in conservative media right now, there is nothing that will put you in better stead than the uh, Edmund Burke's seminal reflections on the revolution in France. Edmund Burke is a conservative's conservative. He was commenting on what was going on with the French Revolution. I highly, highly recommend. Dude, look, don't get... Here's another thing, team. I'm a big believer in this. Have a bunch of books and don't feel like, you know, book reading if you have a stack by your bed. And I used to do this too. And I would go, I have 10 books. I must read the first cover to cover and the second cover to cover and the third, you know, go, you don't have to do that. And I, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of you probably don't, but I think most of us get in that habit and that's why if I tell you, oh, you know, it's a great biography, the Robert Moses biography, it's of Robert Moses, written by uh, Caro called The Power Broker. And you'll say, Buck, that book is like a thousand pages. And you'll be like, yeah, but like, you know, just read the first 50, read the first hundred and get a sense of it and then come back to it later and feel and, and skip around to an interesting chapter. You know, it's not we, we get trained to think of books as reading assignments um, like we do in school, uh, producer Nick just beat me to it, but I completely agree with him. He just, he just threw in the mix witness by Whitaker chambers. Absolutely. Read witness by Whitaker chambers, read, um, reflections on the revolution in France by Edmund Burke, read the road to serfdom by Hayek is excellent, but don't, you don't feel like you got to finish the, you know, if you've read the first hundred pages of it, which you could do in a couple of hours, you know, read the first hundred pages and come back to it later, but put it down. It's not supposed to be work. It's supposed to be expanding your knowledge base, your horizons, your, you know, your 
philosophical background on these issues, come back to it. Don't be, you know, don't feel chained to, I've got to finish, i got to finish. You know, and I look, I, I just fell into this too. I picked up for fun. I read this book because I wanted to learn, I wanted something that was just, I picked up Into Thin Air by Krakauer, who's a lib, but he's a good writer. And it's about the Everest disaster. And I read the whole book and you know what? Didn't need to. I could have read the first 50 pages, learned a little bit about how you climb Mount Everest, and I would have been done. But I was like, ah, come on. It's, a, it's an easy read. I'll finish, I'll finish, I'll finish. But now, you know, I took time away from uh, a book I'm reading on chasing down a, a renowned pirate, uh, right, called The Enemy of All Mankind. I'll talk to you about that one another time. My dad gave that to me just recently. And, uh, you know, I, I took away from other, and I have such limited time. So what I'm saying is, you know, have these books and think of them more like companions, Think of them more like reference manuals or or things that when you're up for it, you're going to pick up and read a chapter, read a chapter of one of these books, especially the more dense things. I mean, if I tell you to read John Stuart Mill's On Liberty, which I think I've probably read through all the way, I don't know, two or three times, um, you're going to be like, uh, you know, it's like homework. Well, read 30, 40 pages, put it down. Go read something else that you want later on. Come back, read another 30, 40. It doesn't even have to be in order absorb think about every book you've ever read could you pass a you know a reading comprehension test a month later on everything that happened no read for concepts read for background and ideas and context don't think that you know this is like one thing that i do when i'm reading all these books on islamic history there are a lot of names that you're just not going to retain you know there are a lot of names that that you're not going to remember and there's a reason for that. It's not possible, but read for the stories, read for the understanding. I mean, this is, look, I'm still trying to do this too. And I remind my, often what I say to you is really me reminding myself of something. Uh, but Witness by Whitaker Chambers is a fantastic book that producer Nick just recommended to me to recommend to you. Um, the, these are all, but so yeah, Reflections on the Revolution in France by Burke, um, Witness, Whitaker Chambers, I'm trying to think of other producer Nick. If you think of any uh, others like that, of the must, the must reads, and that that aren't you know, like homework. People don't want to do homework. They want to read. They want to learn. They want to escape. What else is going on out there? Um, all right, producer Brandon. Next voicemail. Hey, it's Chris from Spokane, Washington. So I was hearing you talk about uh, our country trying to reshape the Middle East countries into something that we thought that they should be, and how it hasn't improved our lives or anyone else around the world. I was in the Army, and I was in Fallujah twice, uh, two different deployments from 07 through 09, or to, uh, 2010. And um, I was a sergeant on my last deployment, and I can tell you that one of the big reasons that it didn't work is because they are an entirely different culture and people, and we try to create them into something that we we think they should be in our culture, and it just doesn't work. It's not our responsibility to police the world and, and, and reculture them. It's their responsibility. Keep up the good work. Hey, man, thank you so much for your service, and I've heard that from so many people who were overseas for what really were these nation-building projects that we were told were just about us protecting ourselves, but I think we've all, we've all learned a very important lesson with that, and that was the Republican Party that was really, and Democrats went along with it, but that was the Republican Party that pushed all that. Let's not forget it. That was the Bush-McCain axis. So let's, let's be honest about our own past as a party, too. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Hey, Buck. It's Matt from Greensboro, North Carolina. I just want to say thank you for letting me know about Parlor. I really enjoyed it. I've never been a Twitter guy, but I, I like participating in a conservative platform and supporting it. Um, my question is, do you think that with the success that Parler is on its way to becoming, that that will inspire some of these uh, these conservative billionaires to invest in more conservative platforms? I mean, take the newly red-pilled Elon Musk. Imagine if him and the Trump juniors teamed up to make a new streaming platform. I would download an app called Tesla and check it out to support it. Either way, y'all have a good one. Uh, Shields high to the team and just keep up the great work. Hey, thank you so much, man. And some, some excellent input from you on this from down in Greensboro. I, yeah, I, I, I hope that there'll be more interest. I hope that there'll be some of the people who could step up. I mean, the, you know, the country, the culture of the country and with it, the politics are, are at stake right now in a way that is is very, you know, I mean, I would say it's existential. I mean, America can be transformed in a way that it will never come back from if the forces of the lawless socialist left are able to accomplish what they want to here. Now, we're trying to hold them back. and But, you know, look at history, my friends. You know, revolutions seem impossible until they happen. And then the society has changed for, you know, sometimes a decade, sometimes a hundred, sometimes a few hundred years. Look at our society. We had a revolution. It's how we got started. So it's really easy to just say, oh, the status quo, the status quo. Yeah, that's right. Nine out of ten times. And then the tenth time, you're in a different world afterwards. So I think we have to take this very seriously. As for I just want free. I just want platforms explicitly, explicitly, culturally as a company devoted to free speech and free ideas. They don't have to be conservative because, you know, I don't want it to be always just a Trump a Trump favorable platform or a Republican favorable or conservative or libertarian or no, 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 no. Just, just we, we will put forward free speech and we are not part of the woke mob and we will evaluate ideas based upon their marketability. If I went forward and, and presented, and I've, I mean, I've been through this process, something maybe I'll tell you about another time, but if I went forward and presented a scripted show right now that showed a George Washington in a favorable light. If I want to do a series on George Washington, do you think that I would get a serious hearing, even a meeting from the people that make these decisions at Netflix, at Hulu, at HBO? They'd laugh in my face because of the politics right now. And you say, oh, Buck, but they made a John Adams series. Yeah, they made a John Adams series 15 years ago. You think if you tried it right now, they'd go, oh, I don't think so. And, and then anything that, has to, anything that touches on any of these subjects, you know that the wokeness would be the single most powerful tool of the left. I didn't get to the written roll calls today. Sorry about that. We had so many voicemails. 844-900-BUCK if you want to call in. Please do set us up so we can do a great Friday voice roll call next week. We really enjoy this. Uh, go to bucksexton.com. We'll be posting there throughout the weekend. Also, subscribe. YouTube, I got a commentary going up today that's only for YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash bucksexton. We are going to be putting up more and more special video content there. We're just a Freedom Hut lean, mean content machine, although not so lean. Feel a little like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man these days. Snow Prince has got to stop making such good cookies. Everybody have a fantastic weekend. We are in this together to the end. 
but relax when you can. Take it easy this weekend. Make yourself a marg or have a nice beer. You know, have some mac and cheese if you can. Until Monday, Shields High.